Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters. I'm joined by Carl Hello. and Bo. And today we're going to be talking about Irish Lives Matter, the fact that you are the problem, and Napoleon fails. Which... Yeah, well, isn't there something you forgot there? No. There's an announcement to make, <laughs> which is um, up on the screen now, as you can see. Uh, this is uh, an event Carl is going to. Which, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm part of it. You still got to get there. That's true. I do technically have to arrive there. You're not wrong. As you can see. And uh, it's Andrew Bridgen and yep. uh, Carl Benjamin who will be hosting uh, an evening, I suppose. Yep. I should probably let you sell this because I don't know bugger about it. Um, well, we're just going to be talking about the things that are happening and the way things are. And of course, um, talking about, against many of the things that we're told we're supposed to believe. Um, Where is this? Uh, this is in London, central London. Uh, you will be emailed a location because, of course, we live in a free and open and tolerant society. And it's on the 12th of December, and you can use apparently call, code CARL15 for 15% off because you're a viewer of the Lotus Eaters. There is a code. Just to be clear, though, that's a capital C and lowercase ARL. Because CARL, for some reason, uh, they didn't do it all in uppercase. But there we go. Anyway, do go and check that out if you would like to uh, meet Carl and Andrew. There we are. Mm. And uh, I suppose without further ado, we shall begin with uh, Irish Lives Matter. So if there's one thing that's become very apparent in the past two weeks is that the Irish government really don't care about the Irish people, right? I mean, that's not, not a staggering revelation. But a lot of people uh, were commenting on our coverage and saying, well, hang on a second, I actually don't know that much about the Irish government because Ireland has a proportional representation system and therefore they have coalition governments and therefore could you give me some further information? And I thought I would. Um, All right. Because I don't buggery about it. Well, th that's the thing, right? There are lots, of course, in any proportional representation system, that means there are lots of small parties that uh, can all get a couple of MPs and therefore can get political representation. And so people are, I think, a bit wary. Oh, hang on a second. Are you just showing us the most insane, like, opposition party radicals? Like, you know, this is, this is like, you know, just getting some insane person who's not a member of the governing coalition and being like, look, there's one freak at the back of parliament saying, actually, all Irish people need to die. And it's like, nope, that's the prime minister. And it's like, nope, that's... And so we'll go, few, go through a few of these just to just show you just how much contempt the Irish government has for their own people and how much they love immigrants and foreigners and, uh, well, everything else left wing, basically, um, because Ireland is governed by uh, what they would say is their conservative party. Um, but, of course, it's a lot like our conservative party. It's not conservative at all. But before we begin... We have new merch. We have a new collection of merch. So this is not political merch because we thought, okay, it's one thing just having like loads of political merch, but actually Christmas is coming up and we thought we'd do you a favor, find you something you can buy for your mum. Uh, because of course I can't actually buy my mum uh, political merch because she wouldn't wear it. She wouldn't want to have it on her wall or anything like that. And so we contacted an artist and he's done some lovely, lovely stuff where it's uh, just sort of um, esoteric dreamscapes and things like that uh, that you can get in posters, T-shirts, or frame posters, which I think look lovely, and I think your mum would appreciate, and I think my mum would, but I can't say I'm going to get one because she's probably watching the podcast, and now she'll know what she's getting for Christmas. Um, so, mum, I'm not getting you any of this. <laughs> anyway, um, we've got loads of it, so uh, go check it out, and uh, let's begin. So, people have been noticing, hang on a second, there have been Irish Lives Matter signs popping up everywhere. Surely this means that the Irish have realized that they're onto a winner here. And it's like, kind of, but these were in Belfast. Actually, in Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, I haven't seen any Irish Lives Matter signage or graffiti. 
which is surprising. You'd think that'd be well, one. Sorry, Belfast is Northern Ireland. Yeah, right. So sorry. Yeah, that's that's why. I, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said the Republic of Ireland. Yeah, in the yeah, Republic. No, no, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, sorry. It's fine. I haven't seen any Irish Lives Matter in the Republic of Ireland. Oh, that's which nice. surprises right. me because I would love to see the reaction. Because of course, in Britain, if you write Irish Lives Matter, the Northern Irish are basically re- remembering what they are. Irish Lives Matter. We don't think so. We're British. Thank you very much. And therefore, putting Irish Lives Matter as a hate crime. Of course, it's not really the reason that it's a hate crime. The reason it's a hate crime is because. Oh, the British government agrees with the Irish government that the Irish need to be uh, moved out. Yeah, but the thing is that you would think that would be the position of the British government. But just for argument's sake, if that was done in Dublin, would it be less of a hate crime? Well, or that's... Or what are we saying? That's the point we don't know, right? Now, I think it would be more of a hate crime because... <laughs> no, I really do. <laughs> well, the authorities would consider it more. Yeah, 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 obviously. When I say hate crime, I mean we're governed by insane communists who have a series of insane categories that cruelly punish us with. Um, but I think that this would be more of a hate crime. But as of yet, as I said, we don't know how the Irish Republic would react. But I think they would um, absolutely spurg out and it would be glorious content and nothing else. But also, I think it would be a good dialectical mechanism to continue pushing the narrative, continue pushing them into positions where they're like, look, we are literally the oppositional force to the concept of Irish Lives Matter because we're the Irish government. What did you think you were voting for, Right. And so I thought we'd have a look at the Irish government. So as you can see there, Wikipedia gives us a very quick summary. So it's a majority coalition from the government of Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and the Green Party. You speak perfect Gaelic. I know, <laughs> which is remarkable. Sorry, just to be clear again, are we now talking about the Republic of Ireland? We are talking about the Republic of, of Northern Ireland. Ireland. We're not talking about Northern Ireland. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, okay. The Republic of Ireland have yet to fully condemn the statement, Irish Lives Matter which is why it might be useful if someone actually went and see what they thought about it. Um, so the current government uh, took office in December last year, so they've been in a year. Leo Varadakar, uh, I can't pronounce his name, uh, he's the leader of Fine Gael, and he's the Prime Minister. Uh, the Deputy Prime Minister is Michael Martin, the leader of Fianna Fáil, and then the Green Party are like a minor partner in the coalition. Now, I thought the, um, the names of these parties was interesting. Fine Gael... Anyone want to take a guess what that means? Fianna Gael. Well, whatever. Okay. <laughs> it's just, but look, foreign words get pronounced as I want to pronounce them. All if right. they don't like it, they can spell them in English. Yeah. <laughs> so as, as far as I'm concerned, and that goes for Arkansas, okay? So, <laughs> what does it mean? Tribe of the Irish. That's a really interesting name, isn't it? Tribe of the Irish. Oh, yeah, by the way, every immigrant on earth is more legitimate as an Irish citizen than you are, says the Prime Minister of Ireland. Leading the party called Tribe of the Irish. I feel like something somewhere along the way, something's been subverted. <laughs> something sure. something just swirls been subverted, yeah. yeah. Something happened Where? in the 1990s, yet again. Yeah. <laughs> Fianna Fail, want to take a guess what that means? Death to foreigners? I don't know. Nearly. Okay. I mean, soldiers of destiny. Well, pretty good. That's cool. That's like the Taliban. Yeah. Nice votes. Well, yeah, exactly. Taliban means the students to dish. Okay, yeah. but it sounds like the sort of thing you get out of the Muslim world, right? Yeah. You know, the sword of Allah or the soldiers of destiny. Uh, actually, actually, they're really, really unimpressive. And it's kind of embarrassing that they've got such a cool name. Like, imagine if the Labour Party literally came out and called themselves the Crusaders or the Templars or something. Mm. You know, you'd be like, yeah, but you're awful. 
Um, and the Green Party obviously means communism. Um, this is purportedly a center-right coalition, according to Wikipedia, which is just mind-boggling what the center-right can be considered to be consisted of at this point. Um, for example, I mean, Leo Varadkar, Varadkar, um, do we need any more on this? Like He literally said, migration should be seen as a good thing for Ireland, says the tribe of the Irish leader, premier of Ireland. Uh, he's warned politicians more than ever, they must understand the effects of their words have when talking about the issue of migration. And so he's like, yeah, don't link crime with migration after the stabbing of an immigrant who should have been deported of three Irish children. It's the classic thing, isn't it? Don't notice reality. Yeah. Yeah. And well, why would you need to plead for people not notice? Yeah. If it wasn't real. It's it's really weird, isn't it? It's like he's not pleading with, you know, people like not to notice that Martians are taking up all the housing uh, like <laughs> places or something like that. You know, Please or, do not link Martians with house crisis. Yeah, exactly. Right. He doesn't need to do that because there's just simply nothing there to link. So why does he need to do this? Well, and the thing is, what I like about this is like this is actually really retrograde, right? This is what, what I love about Irish politics. I'm I'm you know not particularly familiar with it, but obviously I've been researching it in order to be able to understand what's going on there. And what I love about Irish politics is that they're literally about five years behind everyone else. Like it's like going back in time, right? Don't link crime to migration. Like I, I looked at um, this woman uh, the other day who she's like, oh, you know, every migrant is welcome here. And I just looked at her bio and she's literally got feminist written in her bio like it's 2016. It's like, what are you doing? That's embarrassing. I doubt Jess Phillips even has feminist in her bio. Like cringe. You, know, you may as well just say man hater. Uh, she is, of course, single and childless. So anyway, many such cases. But um, but this is what I mean. Like these guys seem just like five years behind the times because like Sweden, well they, they're like well actually there is something to do with migrants and crime. And of course the uh, the French Macron uh, came out and was like yeah Danish the Dutch yeah the the Germans even are like the German police are even like yeah it seems to be there is a kind of linkage with migrants crime. But the Irish Prime Minister in his um in his time warp. It's like, oh, no, 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 we've got to the point where we say that we don't think migrants are crime. Okay, well, it's just going to keep getting worse until eventually, five years down the line, you're like, yeah, okay, we can't, can't, really, can't really deny it. Um, anyway, of course, you've got uh, the leader of Fine... No, no, um, this, this one's the Soldiers of Destiny, Fianna Fail. Uh, Please don't weaponize immigration. Okay, Mr. Soldier of Destiny. Let's hold it together, shall we? It's embarrassing. Uh, this was in regards to Ukraine last year, but as you can see, it's the very same message. It's the one uniparty message that all of the Irish parties have. We're pro-migration. Anyone who says anything about migration is bad. Now, he had to come out and be like, yeah, okay, so there is actually a kind of point of political realism, which is the budget. Sometimes you have to add up numbers in a government, and sometimes those numbers go up. And so you have to explain why those numbers go up. And if you bring in 140,000 people who are disproportionately taking from the public purse, sometimes you have to explain to people why that's happening. And then you get called a racist. He uh, came out and said a very, very reasonable and placid thing. Uh, a very, very significant increase in population is likely to result in a challenging budget. Why? Great question. I thought they paid more taxes than they take out. So I thought it was strange. Fine, yeah. I thought it was nothing but good. I thought they were all consultants for the health service. Yes, doctors, lawyers, net yeah. taxpayers. They're going to have a surplus of doctors. Yes, 
<laughs> loads of doctors running around performing impromptu surgeries on the streets of Ireland. <laughs> I hear that you can crash your bike and you'll be fixed before the ambulance even arrives now. Uh, and so anyway, he, of course, um, got lambasted for this in, in this article and, and in others. Uh, he is trying to convince us that economic hardship of people is not due to the gross failures of the government, but population growth. In other words, all them foreigners. It's like literally that, that is literally the, the view of the governments of Germany, <laughs> France, Denmark, Switzerland, Norway, like Italy, like literally every other European government is like, yeah, it is actually the number of migrants. Sorry, I don't know what to tell you. And the Irish is just like, oh, he's going to say something. I mean, literally, this is exactly how the mainstream politics and media operate. I'm not racist, but I'm going to say something racist. And it's like, that is so quaint. You know, can you say that in an Irish accent? I can't do Irish accents. I can't either. But it is so like 2013 again. It is. It's, like, you can't vote for Brexit. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's like up. you are so far behind the curve. I love it. And uh, and then you get uh, Green Party lunatics. Remember, these are a coalition party in government. For debate. So, and that is the issue here, is a lot of people will go with the line of, they do not have a right to be here. What, what allows them to say they do not have a right? So you can discuss everything else when it comes to immigration, but don't start saying uh, that person doesn't have a right to be here. Right. They're not Irish. They're guests. So Green Party lunatic, um, Hazel Chu, I think her name is. She's the uh, former mayor of Dublin. As well. Yep, former mayor of Dublin. Classic uh, Gaelic phenotype as well. Yeah, and, uh, and part of the party that's in the coalition of government says, uh, don't start saying they don't have a right to be here, which means you need to start saying it loudly and often. When they say, well, look, we don't want you to go over this line, and she genuinely doesn't, you have to go as far past that line as you can in order to advance the conversation in that direction. She'll give a bit and give a bit, and you keep making the most extreme demands, and eventually you'll get what you want. That's how the left got anywhere, and that's how you get back to where you want to be. But it's also true. I mean, <laughs> what we're talking about here. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> well, you have no right to be in Kuwait. You will never have a right to be in Kuwait. Nope. You are not going to become Kuwaiti. Kuwaiti. Kuwait is an ethnostate of Kuwaitis who use their oil wealth to prop up their lives until it all comes tumbling down, of course. But even then, what will happen after is the guests will leave because there's no more oil and the Kuwaitis will go back to, well, swimming in the sea trying to find pearls. Yeah. And it's the same for every other ethno state. Like Ireland is an ethno state. Well, it's exactly the same for Ireland. It's entirely a place made for the Irish. Entirely which... funded by Father Ted reruns. <laughs> <laughs> but it had to be it had to be created through blood <laughs> and death. Yeah. And then when they finally got it, you turn up as a guest, you then just can't deny demands. Actually, this place is for me. I you really... didn't fight in the East Uprising. You have no relevance to the Civil War. <laughs> and you have no involvement. Yeah, you have no involvement with the Troubles. You were just a guest who turned up and then went, this is my place now. I tell you, I really wish I'd got the Father Ted clip where he's like, hey, you're a racist now, Father. <laughs> you know, it would have been so appropriate. Um, but anyway. And when, when people like that say, don't say this, you can't say that. Yeah, you've got the to. correct response is, I'll say whatever I want to say. Oh, and also, I'll pick the words I'm going to say. But also just say that thing. Just look them in the eye and say it to them. You can't over say it over. Retard? Okay, retard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just say it over and over because this is how they lose. Um, but yeah, so anyway, of course, that means <gasps> the far right are coming. Uh, this is uh, a senator or whatever they call them in Ireland. Um, and I thought we'd just watch this just because, uh, again, 
Like it shows you just how far out of whack the Irish are compared to everyone else. To the far right, they do not care about women, about children, about freedom, about any of the uh, issues that they profess to care so much about. The only thing that they care about is exploiting a tragedy, is it perpetuating lies in order to advance their own narrow agenda, and that is an agenda to drip poison into Irish politics. This isn't a problem that's unique to Ireland. Many countries are grappling with it, but there is no room for complacency here. We cannot think Ireland is somehow immune from the far right. We have an open, we have a democratic society, and within that, all of us have a responsibility. The entire political system not to follow this path, a responsibility to counter misinformation and not to capitalise from it. We have to challenge those who willfully and recklessly spread lies, because we saw from last week, misinformation will only lead to violence and destruction it comes to the far right they do not so i think i've demonstrated that uh, the irish political class the progressive class are entirely trafficking in misinformation and lies being like well i mean you know we we can't connect anything to uh, migration no, no that's just a lie that's all a lie right we have the statistics that's all a lie right it's just saying the opposite yeah what's true yeah well because the, people that do care about children things don't care about children yeah because that's literally why a- they were protesting because we live in an open democratic society. That's yeah. why we can't have the truth. Yeah, we can't talk what? about it. Everything about that. But, but listen to the tension in their voice. He sounds scared. Yeah. Really, really scared. She sounds scared. We can't talk about this. We can't talk about, oh my God, the far right coming. Yeah, yeah, no, I think they might well be, actually. Um, but that's because they've got the truth on their side in this case. And 75% of Ireland is far right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> people listening, this is a, a series of polls that were done about people's views on asylum seekers. And they were asked, I think the number of refugees in Ireland is taking uh, now is too many. And 75% of the public went, yes, definitely too many. I can appreciate some of the anger people feel about asylum seekers being moved into their local area. 76% of people are like, yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, 55% of people would be more concerned about people, asylum seekers being relocated to their area. So I'm not surprised. That these little, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna swear. These very honourable gentlemen, sorry, leprechauns. <laughs> he is sort of a uh, classic sort of face and voice of treason. Yes, I think it's for smaller countries somewhere like Holland or Ireland because their population isn't that big. It's only a few million. five million, so that's really small. Yeah. I mean, London's like four times that on its own, for example. Yeah, great. Um, so, I think for smaller countries like that, the sort of the amount of Mass immigration to the point of demographic change is even more accelerated, even more egregious. Oh, yeah. Uh, than in a giant country like America, say, where they could swallow up yeah. maybe even tens of millions from the and southern you- border and it doesn't immediately change every single city and town. But for Ireland, it's particular for me, it's a particularly extreme case because the Irish, you've got to give it to them have always had an extremely sound sense of their own nationality and their own identity. Yep. You know, with something like America, the United States, it is much easier to muddy the waters with all that sort of thing. The fiction they have is they're founded upon just pure ideas and the ethno, right. uh, ethnic makeup doesn't matter. Whereas Ireland is founded on, well, ethnic consciousness, nothing else. Right, yeah. There's nothing else whatsoever. I mean, even with England. Yeah. Even though it's a, a a nonsense argument, there is that there is that that snake-like argument of well, you had the Roman uh, immigrations, you had the Vikings, you've yeah. had the Normans. You're all you're all immigrants. You're all immigrants, aren't we? Okay, none of that works for Ireland. 
Yeah, they don't. None of, none of that works for Ireland. They're very, very, very much English their own used to come strong. here. Why can't everyone else? <laughs> to try and make the argument that you just should have endless immigration from everywhere in the world. You end up sounding like Cromwell. It, it, it's incredible that, um, that it's, it's happened there. And you can't guilt them in saying, yeah, but this is payback for your empire. Pfft. No. Yeah, what, what, yeah, yeah, what, exactly. Ireland didn't have a, none of this works in Ireland. Yeah. This is why the Irish should literally be uh, rallying. In fact, um, John, I forgot to get up the Irish Freedom Party. Um, can we pull that up? Because uh, I'd like to take a look at their manifesto in a minute. Um, but, um, but anyway, um, moving on. Irish Freedom Party. Irish Freedom Party, I believe. Sound like our guys, right? I don't know anything about them. Well, I, I thought we'd look at the manifesto in a second. I don't know. I've been talking to some people who reached out just to mm-hmm. try and educate me a little bit on Irish politics. Mm-hmm. And there's like three parties who are small, who are somewhat trusted, because none of the major ones apparently are. Yep. And the Irish Freedom Party is the major one, it seems. Right, okay. The other major one sort of um, went through a bit of a weird session recently with um, Leprechaun Hitler, which <laughs> is a story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that's a real thing in Irish politics. Yeah, heard well, of this before. I just hope Conor McGregor makes his own party. Well, that's storms important. to power, or joins an existing one that's uh, <laughs> good. But um, but I I've been um, yeah no it it will it'll take a second. But um, anyway I'll carry on with the bit uh, other bits. But so um, you see there are more protests in Dublin uh, because of course they're not being listened to by the political class. And when the political class get wind of this sort of thing, they have some very um, Highly strung responses. Uh, for example, I mean, okay, you, you see lots of people protesting that they're not being listened to and think, well, we're an open and inclusive democracy. That's why these guys need a good beating, right? I mean, that's it's literally... Beat the protest. Decent beating. And I'd be blunt about it. You probably cannot say that, but I'd be blunt. That's what people want to see. They are fully in support of the Gardaí and feel that the only response the people involved in this sort of criminality and writing uh, understand is a good, honest, decent beating. And I'll be blunt about it. Scumbag. You probably cannot yeah, say that. So really, really. <laughs> they just need a good beating, which, I mean, honestly, I, what I love about the Irish political class is that the political ineptitude that they demonstrate, like there's no way, there's no way Jeremy Corbyn would come out and say this, right? He obviously thinks it. Obviously he thinks, God, if only I could just line them up against the wall and have them, you know, Obviously thinks it, but they would never say this because he's a lot more politically savvy. He realizes that if you're going to be an extreme left winger, you can't actually be like, hey, you know what the Soviet Union did, right? Kill everyone. You know, you can't actually say that. But if you were in an Iraqi republic that's just been set up, they do say mental stuff like that. Yeah. When you're a short-lived nation. Yeah. <laughs> and when, when you're kind of in the, boot, the, the, the backwater of, of international politics and... Whoever you want. <laughs> exactly. No one's really paying attention. You've kind of got the political system in your little country sewn up. You can say things like this. You can get worse, in fact. You can have one councillor. Um, this is from the Fianna Fail party. So again, part of the governing coalition. right? It's like, yeah, you know, I would actually uh, like to see them uh, shot in the head or beaten by the public until they die. How is that possible? Well, that you can say that. Now, I can see why you would say that, because, of course, he is, um, his name is Azad Tulukda, average Irish surname, right? So if you're like, hmm, these anti-immigrant guys, I kind of wish they were shot in the head or beaten until they died. So that, I can kind of understand how he gets to that point. What I can't understand is why he doesn't get kicked out of the party. Fianna Fáil will engage with him because that was totally inappropriate. Uh, that should be political career over, I think, actually. 
It should be thrown in a cell. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, you could say, well, hang on a second. I'm using the charisma of your elected office to incite violence against members of the public who are protesting there was a murder. That should be uh, some kind of incitement to violence charge, you would think. But of course, he's a member of the governing coalition party. So nothing will happen, right? Because that's how these things work. That's how the left works when they're in power. He wants to kill the marginalized. That's why it doesn't have yeah. an effect. He, he literally is punching down. We are told, but um, but yeah, he he will be uh, engaged with, according to Fianna Fail, one of the governing parties. And of course, uh, why does he want to do this? Well, remember the Irish have white privilege. Now, this is a person who's not from the governing party. But, During uh, that oppression, we still maintained our our invisibility cloak of white privilege. Let's start that again, just so you can get the full context, because that is just this, gold. this isn't one person. This is a compilation we played yesterday, yeah. which is just all throughout the twenty twenties. Yeah. Every politician talks yeah. about they hate white people. But just want to go while ahead. it's true that the Irish have known uh, a fair share of, of oppression, the reality is uh, during that oppression, we still maintained our, our invisibility cloak of white privilege. Right. So that is literally the Robin D'Angelo basic bitch. Oh, actually, this is white privilege narrative. So this has come from America. It has installed itself like a brain worm in the Irish politicians' minds, because they're obviously not the best and brightest, and think that they have some sort of privilege, and therefore importing mass numbers of third-worlders in order to say, look, see, look at those people who are serving us our pret. This must mean that in the 1922 or the 1917 uprising, we had white privilege. Embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. It makes Irish politics look like, honestly, student politics. That's what this looks like. Really embarrassing student politics. Uh, but uh, but there's a, like as you said, there's, this compilation has been going around a lot, and it just shows a general hatred and contempt for the Irish people. They genuinely hate them. They genuinely want to shoot you in the head or give you a good beating or whatever. They want you to shut up. They don't want you to cross certain lines that would be in your own self-interest, right? So as far as the Irish government are concerned, Irish lives do not matter. I don't think there's any question of it. In Entirely true. <laughs> it seems I had nothing to say because yeah. it's just evidential. <laughs> Sorry. I know that uh, that makes me a conspiracy theorist, Ian Collins. Uh, but, uh, you know. Conor, Conor McGregor for president. Yeah, yeah. Keith oh, yeah. Sorry. I've run their home office or something. Quick thing. I thought uh, the, the Irish Freedom Party, I think, uh, looks pretty good. I had a look at their website. And uh, where's the. Uh, for some reason, the, the website takes ages to load. But um, fix your website, Irish Freedom yeah, Party. Fix your website so I can quickly go and look at it on the podcast. Thank you very much. Honestly, there's no, no excuse for this, but um, they're just too popular. They're just too popular. Again, just to reiterate a point I was making earlier the, 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 the sense of in the history, the tradition of, of Irish nationalism, yes, until just a few years ago, like the rest of the world, seemed so strong, so, yeah. so strong. And now, um, sort of, you know, uh, with very few parallels, that sort of strong. Yeah. And it's, it seems to have been fairly effortless, effortless, effortlessly subverted. <laughs> subverted inside out, right? I, um, I get the feeling it's because it was just taken for granted. Well, of course, the Irish government is going to look out for Irish interests, obviously. I don't need to think about politics. They're literally the guys who are excusing our terrorism. That's yeah, exactly. how much they were on our side. Exactly. And, uh, and not now. But I, I really like uh, these guys. Uh, exit the EU, um, preserve free speech, reestablish independence, stuff like this. These, these guys seem like uh, pretty decent chaps. 
So um, I would definitely recommend looking into them. I feel like there must be, there must be still a deep, deep well of genuine Irish nationalism in so, Ireland. Well, so, it must be there. It, can't, course, it cannot have disappeared. Of course it's there. And that's what you're seeing in the sort of Conor McGregor sort of um, being like, hang on a second. Uh, you know, this is why it's resonating with obviously millions of average Irish people. And this is why the political class is freaking out and investigating him for a hate crime. On that, I suppose we'll move on. Yeah, go on. Let's uh, let's 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 fast forward and have a look into the future of Irish politics. Well, I suppose um, this will be Dublin in a year or two. Yeah. So the news here is that you are the problem. Uh, you white man. Uh, it doesn't matter which ethnic group you're from. Your very existence is the issue. And this is something we hear in reverse quite a lot as an accusation against the quote unquote far right, which we're never able to actually meet in person or online. That what they believe. I've met the far right, and they are us. <laughs> <laughs> but this idea that, like, oh man, we have to stand up and censor everyone who disagrees with us because you know what? Those people, they hate trans people, they hate gay people, they hate people with brown skin. And you know why they believe that? Because they think they literally should not exist. And that's the charge that's always leveled mm. as this spooky figures, which we're not able to actually find. But trust me, they're out there, and that's why we need to censor everyone, even on the center right to everything else, including us, of course. And the exact opposite is actually the truth, which is your mere existence is the problem. It is actually something people with power have an issue with and are able to exercise it. And it can be perfectly summed up by this story in The Telegraph here. A BBC radio star struggles with, quote, too many white colleagues. Don't we all? And this, this sounds like a pretty mental thing to say, usually, right? And you'd occasionally get the story every couple of months. There'd be some mental case in media who will just say something horrific about white people or how they hate them. But, At the risk of sounding really gauche, I mean, this is a crystal clear example of a racist. Yes. Right? I, I, I mean, that, that could not be more racist if it tried to be. Nahal over here. Yeah. Because not, not even going to try. Let me, let me try. Athanayakini. Yaki? Uh, average British. We're getting close to Yukba Gamur with that one. Yeah, we are, yeah. There we are. He's a... He's a a person who works for Radio 5 Live. And uh, I suppose I'll just keep the, the image on his face. Of course he works for the BBC. To remind you of the man who hates you for existing. And he says here that the overwhelmingly white working environment is affecting his mental health. Or the BBC? Yes. <laughs> Struggle to believe that. Uh, for people who don't know, the BBC actually is massively uh, underrepresented when it comes to white staff. And then when it comes to British staff, we don't know the numbers. But again, it's going to be massively underrepresented, and especially the English there. Yeah. But even with a forced push by the company he works for to kick white people out, he's still getting mental health issues from seeing them. Now, that is someone who looks at you with your skin tone and says your mere existence is something he wants removed. Otherwise, how else does he get to that conclusion? We'll read the details to see if you can say if I'm wrong. It says that the presenter told a journalism diversity conference on Wednesday, it's really affecting me that I walk in and all I see is white people. His colleague's response when he told them this was to reply defensively that I have a right to exist. No, they said... Um, <laughs> well, that would be a perfectly reasonable response. Yes. Uh, no, instead, they apparently respond with that they're not racist. And he says that this is them missing the point. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't care about your opinion. He looks at you and is like, "Oh God, more white, more white people there." <sighs> yeah, I mean, he literally just looked at a group of white people, and then they said, "Well, we're not racist." And he turned around and said, "You're missing the point." 
I don't know what else to get from that interaction, then he is literally telling them your existence is the problem. God, imagine going into work the next day. Yeah, it's a bit like, awkward. It's just like, uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How to alienate yourself in one easy step. Yeah, just say, I hate all the white people I work with. <laughs> well, now 53% of the office hate you. <laughs> or at least they should if they had any sense, because, like, well, you've literally just told them you want them dead. It's not like... Uh, speaking no, of... Not necessarily dead, just, you know, not in my presence, because I'm too good to be in a room with white people. I do live here. I work here. So. Yeah, well, that's a great question, why you live in a European country. Um, but he says, speaking of the journalism... Just diversity a quick thing, sorry, just a quick thing there. Like, you could literally go to almost any other country in the world. If you just threw a dart at a map, mm-hmm. you're probably going to hit a country where the majority of people are not white. Yes. Just white people are a global minority. Yeah. Like 10% or something of the population. Yeah. yeah. And yet, somehow, he's like, I'm trapped in a country full of white people. Well, his parents are from Sri Lanka, and he could get Sri Lankan citizenship and go there and work in media. I have a feeling he's not going to. Yeah, weird. Though. Some strange reason. That's not desirable. Some, some strange reason. We'll see his pay packet in a minute, and you'll figure that one out. Oh, will we? Right, okay. So he's, work, he's speaking at the Journalism Diversity Fund Conference at BBC Media City in Salford. Why does that exist? Why does that exist? <laughs> we'll see. It's all about money. It always is. And uh, he said, I've seen a lot of people leave this building because they couldn't deal with the culture. After, I mean, that's probably why I'd leave the building. After speaking about his interaction, that's, but presumably he's speaking about people who are not white, who also hate white people and <laughs> couldn't live with it. Being around white people so left Salford and what, went back to London? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I need to move to a non-white country, London. <laughs> He said that others found that they had to try to be a certain type of person to progress with the broadcaster, adding, if you want journalists to progress, they have to be who they are. I don't think there's a single Muslim involved in the senior editorial process at the BBC Radio 5. Yeah. Have you considered working for Al Jazeera? Yeah, well, also, he was well, a big figure at Radio 5. He could just ask for that. I don't, I doubt that the senior team at BBC Radio 5 are a bunch of people who would turn around and go, we hate Muslims. No, that's, that's not going to be the response, is it? So it's just bollocks. He went on, the hardest thing is to walk into a room, look around, and nobody looks like you. I think the hardest thing is getting your, your balls stuck in between a door. I, I think that would be pretty <laughs> awful. I just, <laughs> but what I love is that like, I know all white people look alike. You know, it just like, that's what that's what he's saying. Yeah. Like, we walk into the office and go right. It's just loads of copies of me. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hate every single one of them because they are white. Well, thanks, thanks, mate. That's um good to hear, Nahal. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm How glad. much does he get paid? I'm curious now. One more moment. Oh, okay. He says uh, he's noticed this difference since living up north. After he left London 20 years ago. Oh. So he was in London for 20 years and now he's moved oh, up. Oh, right. Okay. So he's discovered white people and he's horrified. Right, right. So in London, he didn't have this problem. No. Moved somewhere in the north where immigration has been less impactful. There's a statement from uh, someone from the BBC who said that uh, it's a producer of Radio 5 Live and he says the organization is committed to tackling the lack of diversity. So because well, this well, man. We're so sorry. Yeah, this man turned up to a place that's got white people and said, I hate them. And um, Cheryl over here, who's the, who's the spokesman, said, don't worry, I'll deal with that. How many kids does Cheryl Varley have? I don't know. Um, after inviting the, the GDF bursary recipients to a tour of the newsroom at the conference, Cheryl also added that the BBC needs you a lot more than you need them, because if we do not represent our audience, the future of the BBC is grim. Keep that in mind, because what the hell does that even mean in this context? I don't know, but I hope the future for the BBC is grim. 
Well, here's what that thing is. You were asking earlier, this uh, news conference. It's literally just giving money to people who aren't white, straight men. Oh, right. Okay. They, they just give money to people. We who scroll down and look at the faces. What's that works. white woman doing? Oh, she's, a, uh, she's homosexual. Oh, so right. She right. gets she free money. money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they don't just get free money, as you can see here. All these white people who are awful, uh, as, as Nahal would say, have also been sent to the conference and then given a tour of the BBC studio, as I, as I mentioned earlier. This is literally the, you know, congratulations, Sahib, for being a Sikh. Yes, this is indeed um, just we hate white people, Inc. But just congratulations for being Chinese. Pat on the head. Have some money. Well, money talks. It's, it's just really depressing how small amount of it turns people into prostitutes. But as for him, it was no small amount at all. 150K. Jesus Christ. So Nahel here takes 150 grand from the license fee. So taxpayers here, because it is a tax. I'm not a levy. I'm sick of hearing that. Yeah. Sorry, it is compulsory if you want to watch BBC programming, which, by the way, don't. Don't pay it. Yeah. They'll send you letters. And you know what I do? I put them in the bin <laughs> and I carry on my day. You know what happens? No one ever comes around. Nobody actually cares to try and stop people who aren't paying their TV licenses. It's not really a thing. If someone does ever come around, guess what the policy is? They can't use force to enter your home. So if you literally just close the door, they have to go home. So there you are. And if you want to actually stop this, that is the way to do it. Isn't there an organization called like Defund Racism or something? Um, not that I'm aware of. There's one thing I'd say on the, te- the, um, the fee. Um, you can go on their website and you, it's really quick. I, I, I'm pretty much a tech boomer, but it's really quick. It's literally like four clicks or something. You type in your postcode. You can just tick something saying, I never watch the BBC or stream the BBC. And I actually genuinely don't. Yeah, so well, I'm not even lying on that. And it's honestly about four clicks. Mm. And then they don't even send you letters or anything. They'll You're be. allowed to do that. You're legitimately allowed to do well, that. There you go, Callum. Well, I believe um, legally they have to stop because you've told them. Right. And then they have no right to harass you. And I've done that for the last year, few years, four, five, six years, something like that. And every now and again, you get an email saying, it's been a year. Are you sure you're still not watching it? You go, yep. And that's it. <laughs> Why would so I? They will never get another penny out of me. Not another penny. <laughs> I'd just send them like that article from the Telegraph to send that back and say, yeah, I'm not watching it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't wish to fund the hell here on 150 yeah. grand a year to tell me that he hates me because I'm white. I mean, that is literally like, what, 11, 12K a month? The whole BBC should have its Royal Charter removed. Yeah. Um, absolutely, yeah. Well, I don't know. We have to pay this guy this much because he comes Liquidated, out with such pushed into the sea. brilliant thoughts the rest of the year. This might have been a mistake. The rest of the year, he's bang on the money. He, he really advances British political discussion by telling people about how wokeism is good. This is just a series of tweets about wokeism and it just goes on and on. And it's just him talking about how wokeism is a good thing, actually. Look, I don't know why people hate it. Look at his total lack of social media traction. How many followers does he have? I don't know. I mean, he's getting paid so much. 100,000? 100, 100, he's paid 150k. I'm it's sorry. It's two retweets. Zero retweets. Yeah, it goes on and on. Yeah, it's telling, isn't it? Yeah, I always think that's really telling when someone's got a load of followers, hundreds of thousands or millions of followers, Absolutely. and they've like hardly anyone's engaging yeah. with it. It's totally true. It shows that they're just astroturfed. The rest of the time, he does tweet funny things, which are completely unhinged, such as this. My son got called smelly by two players on the opposing football team. We all know that's a euphemism for saying the P word. Nigel Farage what? got called smelly on I'm a Celebrity. So did the woman on that <laughs> call him the P word, did she? I thought he's Sri Lankan. Yeah. Yeah, so you're not, I, doesn't even. You're not from. But anyway, doesn't even make sense. There we are. But this Point is, being, he's unhinged. This is going to come as a shock as well. But uh, 
young boys can often be rude to one another, even if they're white. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a classic thing. If someone doesn't smell, you call them smelly. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like, like so well, smelly come, Alan Fartridge. Yeah. That's just the sort of thing. You're clearly being racist to Alan Fartridge there. <laughs> this is Gary Lineker saying he was bullied for being black all over again. Yeah. And um, also he'll tell you that if you want him to shut up, that's because you're racist. Ah, yes. A simple definition of white privilege is white people telling black and brown people to stop talking about race. Just very bored of it, Michal. Well, you also did say that I should not exist because I'm white and that gives you mental stress. Yeah. I kind of do want you to shut up. Is it brown privilege if you're constantly talking about race and you can literally say, Ugh, I'm just surrounded by white people and all of them are like, we're so sorry? Well, kind of. I mean, here's him saying that, bro, bro, I'm not a diversity hire, trust me. Which... Um, <laughs> you do sound a lot like a diversity hire. I mean, why do you get paid that much but produce so little traction? Oh, to be a white presenter and not have to deal with this. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't have that job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't have to deal with it. That's so funny. <laughs> they keep calling me our diversity hires. Yeah, if I was white, I wouldn't have this problem. Yeah, you'd be working in a cleaning factory. It's some nonsense. And this is absolutely just horrific on every front. But yeah. I do want to remind ourselves of how much of a drop in the ocean this is, because I didn't realize just how much money the BBC make. Because this story broke at the same time. Oh, sorry, this is the demographics first to make the point of, uh, funnily enough, there's, there's not that many white people at the BBC. 58% of the BBC staff are white. Meanwhile, uh, 82% of the people of England and Wales are white. So maybe about 30% English is what you're, yeah. you're looking at there. And there should be a previous link, John, if you've loaded it up. Actually. So non-white people are massively overrepresented already well, yeah, can, at the BBC. We can say that. Yes. Like, hang on, hang on, go back, go back, go back. Right. 16% are Hispanic or Latino? What? what? Like, we don't have Hispanics and Latinos over here because we don't share a massive land border with Mexico. 11% are black or African. Yeah, American. 3% of the population. No, I, I love that. Black or African American. Yeah. Again, why, why would there be African Americans? Right, but 16% Hispanic or Latino. What do you mean from Spain? Yes. Europeans? Mm. Like, that's not a minority group, is it? I want to know the breakdown of how Spaniards. many Latino exes are among yeah, those Latinos. There can't possibly be any Latinos there because we literally, like, the, the, the South American population of Britain is very low because they can't just walk here. But trust me, the BBC needs its Mexicans. Otherwise, uh, what else do they do? <laughs> but here's the, here's the story here because that, that is... The cleaning staff? I mean, what? <laughs> that is representative of an active measure being taken to weed out white people because you don't like them. And we can see the money spent on making sure that planning and action is done. In this article from The Telegraph, the £600,000 a year are spent on diversity and inclusion staff. And those people, you know, their salaries jot up to 600 k there. Their entire purpose is to exactly what Nahal wants, which is what's happening, which is let's try and get rid of as many people who have white skin and replace them with anyone else because, well, otherwise it causes us harm. It might lose us our jobs. I mean, that literally is your position here, that you wish to increase diversity. Your diversity is already higher than the representation of the country, but you want it higher still. Well, the only reason you could want that is because you want to get rid of people you don't like. Well, surely what they're saying is it's 42% diverse, right? And once so it's it 100% diverse. Once it's 100% Mexican, the BBC will yeah, finally yeah. represent the British public. <laughs> but like literally Somehow. every Spaniard on earth is going to be working for the BBC by the time <laughs> Of course, even the word diversity has been subverted. It's not about diversity. Diversity is code for Non, uh, less white. Yeah, yeah just non -white. less, just less white. Yeah. 
I mean, fundamentally, diverse, which is how the Spanish snuck in. The definition of the word diverse and diversity has is, is been thrown out the window long yeah. ago. I mean, fundamentally, when it actually gets to a European context, it has become less English because yeah. it's less white in the American context because the terms are synonymous, yeah. I think, in American lexicon. I, I do wonder at what point they'll get to that at the BBC where they'll say, well, you know, we've got loads of Italians, but yeah. whatever. It'll so it's no good replacing an Englishman with a white Polish person. No. They really need to be of a, a, a black or brown skin. But eventually. It depends on the, the NPC you're talking to, I think. Right. Yeah. Because sometimes you tell them that Slavs exist and they go, what? They generally have no idea. So, but getting back to the kind of people who deserve that amount of money. Well, here's the BBC's budget. I didn't realize how large this thing is. Oh, yeah. So as you can see here, it's well over 5 billion for 2023 alone. License fee income is 3.74 billion. Don't pay it. It's not paying it. Mm. Like, no. Let them live or die on their income and other revenue. Because the, the thing about this is, as Calvin has pointed out, they are losing views on pretty much everything every single year en masse. Well, that is a staggering amount of loss for views. But, well. but for any other company, losing your viewership, if you're a media company, loses you the money, yeah. and therefore you've got to readjust. But if you're the BBC, you can see how that money upwards. goes up as the views have gone down. But look at, look at the staggering amount as well, going from nearly 900,000 to 300,000 in 12 years. Like that is a collapse. Like you actually have to start not paying it if you wish to see a change, and that is the root. I wrote an article when I was quite new to Load Seeds, so a couple, a couple of years ago now. I think I called it uh, We Need to Talk About Auntie or something, where it's just a scree against the BBC. And I mentioned earlier, if anyone doesn't know any Americans or people from other countries and things, about the Royal Charter. So there's literally a, a Royal Charter that says that the BBC are legally allowed to sort of levy this, yeah. this tax against you. What is it now, 160 odd quid a year or something? I don't know, I don't pay it. Some, yeah, me neither, but I think it's about <laughs> that much. Um, now that's in the um, that's the government can just revoke that if they want. Boris threatened to once or twice, but obviously had no intention whatsoever actually doing it. The government, if they wanted to, could just stop that and overnight, effectively, it would it would go on for a few more years until it naturally ran out. Yeah. But then at that point, they would wouldn't legally be allowed to even threaten people that will have send a van round or someone will come and knock mm. on the door or anything like that. That would just take away that three yeah. billion or something. They'd have to actually make money. Yeah, and it wouldn't immediately. It wouldn't necessarily immediately mean just the absolute death overnight of the BBC, but it would mean they have to make money like a normal business, and they would have to cut back significantly on extraneous spending. Well, there is some of that because of inflation, and then there's also a freeze on the amount of money they can charge per license. No newsnight cut to only thirty minutes. Yeah, is anything lost? <laughs> has anything been lost? Are we Will anyone notice? Yeah, this is apparently a, a part of a deal to save five hundred million a year. Chubby Jesus. Thing. I mean, apparently they have 57 staff working on Just News Night alone to produce five hours a week. 57 human beings. I can't even imagine what we'd be able to do with those sort of resources. And of course, That's it's Just News Night. Of course, it is sort of an unhinged, partisan, Brand. globalist, pro-NATO, oh, yeah. like nightmare of a thing. So, Many. yeah. But let's, uh, bye -bye. I suppose, remind ourselves Good. of everything else. I mean, the other several billion you've got to spend somewhere. So I thought I'd remind ourselves of the fact that the BBC is explicitly anti-white all year. It's why people like Nahel over there are able to say such just egregious things and he will have a job tomorrow. This won't affect him at all because, of course, the viewership doesn't matter. It's yeah. just about ideology. And we can see it in a very few examples that I'm going to remind ourselves of. I mean, first and foremost, this one I just love, which is back when the female football oh, team yeah, yeah, were winning. Yeah, yeah, 
Whilst the, the diverse male football team had just been destroyed in the international competitions and the female team had, were winning. So this was the response from a BBC host. It was an historic eight-goal victory for England last night as the Lionesses secured their place in the quarterfinals. But all starting 11 players and the five substitutes that came onto the pitch were all white. And that does point towards a lack of diversity in the women's game in England. And it's something that Alex Scott has been investigating. Investigating. Generations. Look at the picture. No diversity. <laughs> Investigation over. Generations later, we'll look back at something like that. I hope. I hope. Oh yeah, yeah. And it will be like something from the thirties. I hate to invoke that sort of crap because it's cliche, but they'll look back at. It is the, race hatred. The way we look back at some things and be like, "Wow!" Like the black and white minstrel show or something. And it's just like the bottom. Oh, embarrassing. Stuff like it's that. embarrassing. Well, yeah, just, right, yeah, yeah. Just like, um, oh my God. We were actually just perfectly on the money. I know it's Godwin's law, but it is true. If you go look at Schreiker's writings about the Jews, and it just calls them like vermin and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that is how you refer to us. I mean, I will go further with this because there's just too much. This is skiing. You know when you watch the BBC and there's something on skiing? What do you think this is going to be? Let's, let's have a look. We're going to turn our attention to a very important issue facing our whole industry. The lack of ethnic diversity in snow sports is visible at every level. Cortina may be one of only a handful of places to host the Alpine World Championships, but it's similar to every resort in Europe and across North America in one respect. The fact that almost everyone in these beautiful places is white. That is certainly well, the case here God, in Lux and has been at all of the places that I've been fortunate enough to visit through competition and now work. You when you're in the majority, like, you fit in. So why would you question it? It's only by looking at this through a different lens, you start to realize that these environments perhaps aren't as equal, as accessible, or as welcoming as we'd like to think. Oh, shut up, bro. Do, 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 no, no, do, do, you not, do you not remember when I was like, look, you've got to be careful about putting Boris Johnson's statements about homosexuals and Muslim women out because actually, from your perspective, they're a condemnation, but from other people's perspective, that's an endorsement. <laughs> that joke doesn't Just work. saying, you know, <laughs> you, Skiing there's there's no way. diversity here, guys. Isn't this terrible? It's like, well, I do like skiing. <laughs> I also love the aspect here. It's like, it's not accessible. Um, it's a bus. It's a ski slope. Yeah. Have you guys gone skiing? Like, it, it's not accessible at all. No. There's no, there's no sign up. Hello, you. you all right. You know, yeah. None of you. Yeah, but, it's, it's, <laughs> but it's also not accessible as in you have to be able to ski. Yeah, it's not hard. Well, it's not that easy. But no, my point being, if you wanted to go skiing, there's what? nothing stopping you. But the people who want to go skiing are white, therefore something's gone wrong. On the piece of is the, like a, the a skin, skin color chart. Now you're too dark. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't get on the ski lift. Yeah. I would love to um, see them go to a track and field event in London and just be like, one of the problems here is that there's too many blacks reporting for the BBC Live. With that same sort of serious <laughs> expression. Yeah. Like this guy, this guy like wants to think that he's reporting on something that's actually meaningful. Like, look I know at, him. He's been around for years. He's a skater dude, isn't he? He always, used to, he always used to commentate on the X Games or whatever. He's just trying to give us a serious expression. This is a real problem, but <laughs> yeah. they do so little work, get paid so much, I know. and the reason for that is because they just hate white people. I was like, <laughs> what a weird, weird world. The thing is, nice like it's there. a little bit of a culture thing, though, isn't it? There's certain things that um, are sort of fairly European or Northwest European, even. I mean, yeah, like yeah. skiing, uh, yachting. Yep. I imagine there's not a great deal of diversity in the yachting world. I mean, this was literally but, the premise of what was the Jamaican bobsled team film? Oh, yeah. Cool Runnings. Cool, cool Runnings, yeah. This is literally the premise of Cool Runnings. Yeah. Isn't it funny to have a Jamaican bobsled? How are they going to do it? There's literally no snow in Jamaica. Ha, ha, ha. Many hijinks ensue. 
Like, obviously, people in cold climates can go skiing because there's snow there. People in sub-Saharan Africa have slightly more trouble actually managing it because there's just no bloody snow. It's not the only incident where it's obviously just mad. There's this one as well, which I found from Defund the BBC, which is just kind of creepy. So I don't know if you can see here, but it's some TV show. And in the TV show, what? someone messages this uh, black character here, who is another black character. And she messages him with pictures of ugly white babies with the phrase, do you ever just Google ugly white babies? Well, so they're not ugly babies. But what would you respond if someone messaged you that? You'd be like, no, you freak. Yeah, why would I? And he writes back, those babies are going to vote for Trump. And then this is played off as a joke. And it's just like, oh, 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 oh. I mean, I hate to be that guy. Do you ever Google ugly black babies? What's the response there that's going to be in a permissible joke on the BBC? None. There isn't one. It's just not going to happen. Not to mention the fact, of course, as we've been over many times, the BBC literally decided they weren't going to hire white people for various internships and jobs. Okay. Right. You are literally an anti-white organization. It's why Nahal over there can tell me that me existing causes him mental illness. Psychic damage. And therefore, we have to be removed from the BBC even when they're underrepresented. They hate us. It is our mere existence that is the problem for them. This is not something that can't be proved and is racism in the ether. We can prove it with their statements and their actions. And on that note, it's time to move something a bit more fun, I imagine, which is um, Napoleon. Which... Right. Sorry to go on a bit. But... Yeah, no, no, that's fine. You want us dead. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. literally, as the Irish government is showing, look, I just want them shot. Is that too much? <laughs> is that just yeah. too much to ask? Yeah. The BBC no. needs to be defunded. Yes. I don't know if there was a film about Cromwell and the Irish. Uh, there are. Oh, right. I don't know about that. You know your whole like your Zulu idea. Same thing. But we make Cromwell and the English a bunch of uh, <laughs> you know new Irish. <laughs> there is a 1970 film Cromwell, but it doesn't really go into the whole Wexford, Waterford massacre stuff. But, uh... Well, we'll have to make one. But the Irish government are just watching it and repeat. <laughs> um, uh, let's move on to Napoleon okay well Carl and I went to go see the film Napoleon about a week ago fairly, fairly soon after it came out um, so we're just going to talk a little bit about that because um, it seems to be all over the internet at the moment people, various people everyone really doing reviews of it and big thought, sigh of disappointment you thought maybe it'd be good if I talked about it a bit being the resident history nerd we do have first of all to say then there is um a nine-part series on the website, uh, you and me in conversation about the life of Napoleon. So we do actually know something about Napoleon. Right, yeah. I mean, each one of these is like an hour and a half, two hours long. So what is that, 15 amount. or 16 hours yeah. worth of content? Yeah, five pound a month. Yeah. And you can actually learn about Napoleon and why Ridley Scott's film is terrible. Um, another very quick shield, just in general, because I don't think it's mentioned enough, that both seasons have got two... YouTube channels. There's the one you're watching this on right now, probably the, the podcast of the Lotus Eaters. There's also lotuseaters.com, um, which has just got uh, lots and lots of other content on it. And it's it, got lots of clips from the premium and, and far fewer subs. So um, some I have seen people say, "Oh, I only just become aware that you've got a second channel." So anyway, we've got a second channel. Um, but if you subscribe to the website, you can see all the history, premium history content with me. Um, so, do know a fair bit about Napoleon, the life of Napoleon, the, the Napoleonic era. Um, Almost everything that he did on a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a, a long history by Sir Charles Oman, all about the Peninsular War. Very long. 
many, many volumes. And I've read that all the way through a couple of times, bits of it many, many times, listened to parts of the audio book, an embarrassing number of times. <laughs> so I know a bit about it. And uh, the film um, is a complete car crash. It's a dumpster. It's embarrassing. It's laughably bad. Yeah. Um, so first of all, I'd like to say is that I actually was completely prepared to give it the benefit of the doubt. You were. This was the thing. I, and I said this in advance, didn't I? You called it. I said, this is going to be terrible. He was like, no, I think it looks quite good. I was like, oh, you sweet summer child. You have no <laughs> idea how bad things can be. Because <laughs> well, I'm usually like, well, I, I, I'm not really that interested in what the, the uh, critics say, or what yeah. the reviews say. I, I'll be the judge of what I like and don't like. Sure. And sometimes great films get panned. You know, like the Shawshank Redemption wasn't particularly critically acclaimed when it first came out, for example. Ridley Kingdom Scott. Of, Kingdom of Heaven. No, I'm right. Well, that's the thing. So Ridley Scott, one of my favorite films of all time, is The Duelists, which is Ridley Scott's first film. And it's brilliant. It's a brilliant, brilliant film. He's done a number of other films that I think are, are very, very good. I mean, Blade Runner's brilliant, right? Yep. Alien is great. Yep. Gladiator's superb. Yep. I even like Black Hawk Down. Some people don't necessarily like that. I, I like Black Hawk Down. I think it's pretty good. But he has also had a few clangers, especially in recent years. I mean, I hate Thelma and Louise. I hate the story and the, and the themes in Thelma and Louise. Kingdom of Heaven. I know you don't mind it. I think it's very poor. Um, I enjoyed it. Robin Hood, that Robin Hood with Russell Crowe. That was atrocious. Yeah. That's but the thing good. is, you'll notice that throughout these sort of, um, after Gladiator, throughout the historical films he does, there's this particular thread of egalitarianism that he goes through. Because at one point in Kingdom of Heaven and in Robin Hood, he basically tries to denigrate the concept of being a knight. He's like, no, 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 it's just a guy in armor, basically. And anyone can be a knight. It's like, not really. Actually, it requires a lifetime of training and a particular kind of mindset. Uh, and you can see this kind of egalitarian push to have it say, oh, no, you're all the same, basically. It's like, no, it just wasn't like that. It was super hierarchical. And people literally, from about seven years old till the time they were like 18, were training nonstop with arms. You know? So it, you're not just all the same. But this is a constant feature of these uh, things since Kingdom of Heaven. The Last Jewel, have you seen that? I haven't seen it. It's that. poor. It's very poor. It's boring, really. Um, but yeah, so Ridley Scott, Sir Ridley Scott, rather, um, he's a libtard. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. It's uh, he's a libtard. I mean, like I say, he's made some great. <laughs> he's made some great movies. Yes, and as a director, yeah, he is very good. As a cinematographer, he's got a great eye. He's brilliant, but he's a libtard boomer. Yeah, I mean, um, John, just he's to, too old. Just to emphasize that point, can we can we bring up the uh, Kingdom of Jerusalem from uh, Kingdom of Heaven? Like, because it looks amazing. Like, there's, I know, I just like nowhere else on oh. film. Have we seen the army of Jerusalem marching, right? So, in, in the same way. And it just looks amazing. It is the best thing. So, yeah, yeah, one thing to say before I go into why it's so terrible, this film, is to say some of the good things about it. It looks great, this Napoleon film. Like all Ridley Scott films, the cinematography. No, don't worry about it, John. Don't worry about the, it. The, the costumes, uh, the, 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 the sets, the, what it looks like is superb. It's absolutely superb. You cannot fault him for that. And the same goes for this film, Napoleon. Um, I've heard it said in, in boxing or MMA, things like that. One of the last things to go is power. Your, your, sort of your speed and your skill and all that sort of thing in your eye uh, goes, but you've still got the power. That's the last thing to go. Seems with Ridley Scott, it's the cinematography. Right, right. His ability to tell a story, to pick a good script, to have good actors uh, doing a good job at acting, all that's just, it's, it's long gone. It's long gone. But the cinematography is still there. It still looks great, I thought, anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, there, there were some key problems that I had with this from the start, which is the age of Joaquin Phoenix. Right, so they make no attempt to make him look younger at the beginning. Yeah, why not? He looks like, he looks like a 50-year-old whole like, film. You've got $200 million. You've got all the CGI technology you could ever need. You know what Joaquin Phoenix looked like when he was young because he was an actor when he was young. Mm. You could quite easily have just artificially euthanized his face uh, to make him look like a young man when he was a young Napoleon. You could have easily done this. That too long, Napoleon would have been about 24, 25. And they, they, just, they just make him look like that. Oh, the whole by the thing. way, he's actually 50. <laughs> right. right. And it's never mentioned so, or anything like that. So, yeah. Um, well, there's a very good argument on screen if you can see it there. There's a counterpoint to you, Carl. What? Well, Ridley Scott on historians criticizing Napoleon. Well, I have issues with historians. I ask, excuse me, mate, were you there? No? Well, shut the F up then. That's a great point, yeah. Ridley. Yeah, rid That's why we know nothing about history. Yeah, ridiculous <laughs> argument. An absurd argument, Sir Ridley. What are you talking about? Yeah, that, that's just... Um, well, Ridley Scott was in ancient Rome seeing the gladiatorial <laughs> fight between my... I mean, he is about old enough, actually, isn't he? Again, people might find this a little bit surprising being a history buff. But I don't mind, unless it's really over the top, in which this case it is, unless it's really over the top, I don't mind if historical films bugger about with accuracy well, a bit. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind it as long as it's not, as long as it's not really, really in your face, as long as it's not absurd. But it is in this case. But that's why Gladiator was good. Right. Obviously, that's yeah. not historical. Commodus wasn't killed in the arena by Maximus Decius Meridius, who's a fictional character. Yeah. But it was a good story. Um, so, before I go into some of the details and things about it, uh, the first thing to say is that it's quite, it's very long. It's like three hours long. Yeah. And it's about Josephine. They could have called the film Josephine or Napoleon and Josephine, uh, Napoleon's first wife, Josephine. Um, half the film are scenes with her in it. If not more. Now, when we did our, um, our nine-part series on it, I don't know what it is, 14, 15, 16 hours worth of content, something like that. I think I probably, and it was completely up to me, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, I had full editorial control over the whole thing. Um, I probably put aside 20 minutes, maybe half an hour or something to talk about Josephine. That's about right. Hmm. In the story of Napoleon's life, an incredible story, an absolute incredible life, she's not that important to it. And the, the, thing, the thing that people need to remember is he actually spends a lot of time away from her, as in campaigning, as in mm. defeating people, as in forming this giant empire, doing political things. He's actually not constantly in her pockets for the entire mm. of his career. And, and yet the film will have you believe that all he does is spend all of his days talking with Josephine. The thing that makes Napoleon's life interesting is the, the military and the political side of it. Yeah. Not his boring relationship with his annoying wife. Where he's getting cut. I'm afraid. Um, but for some reason, Ridley Scott, decided that he's going to go with a script that is like half about her. And even at some point, he divorces her and he marries someone younger. And in the film, I thought, well, at least at that point in the narrative, we won't see Josephine anymore. No, no, there's another like three or four or five scenes with her in it, crowbarred in. Yeah, her struggling to deal with it. It's like, I don't actually don't care about her opinion on it. I don't care about her at all. I mean, um, not talking about Austerlitz or, you know, Waterloo yeah. or, you know. Um, so I've got... <laughs> I've got a couple of quotes here. One from The Critical Drinker, who is, you know, despite just being a YouTube movie critic, is a legitimately superb critic. Yeah, good guy. Absolutely, yeah. His, his takes mm. are nearly always, if not always, spot on. He said about this that the film, quote, suffers from a crippling lack of focus, uneven, uneven pacing, lack of detail and context, muddled performances from actors that are capable of so much more, and the kind of historical inaccuracies that make Braveheart look like Master and Commander. Oh man, 
Master and Commander is so good. He also said, uh, just quickly, uh, that it was a a well-put-together production from a technical point of view. The sets, the uniforms, and the cinematography are all excellent. Which is true. Yeah, but Um, a great point about the performances, right? Like, I I really like Joaquin Phoenix as an actor, right? I really... Exactly, he's a really good actor. And yet he was really boring in this. Yeah, somehow they made this film boring. Yeah. It's largely boring. Yeah, like, I, I watching Joker, I wasn't like, oh, I'm bored. You know, I was on the edge of my seat. Watching Napoleon commanding troops at Auslitz, I'm like, Because uh. he literally says, cavalry forward. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just like, it's, he said it with a bit of passion. Well, other than it being massively focusing on Josephine, which yeah. is just the wrong thing to focus on, there's the character of Napoleon. Now, um, what you would want is some sort of characterization. To know his motives, to know what's going on, why or how is he a tactical or strategic genius? They don't do any of it. Mm. Apostolic Majesty, also uh, got a great, a great mind, great takes, and far superior historian to me, um, just called the whole thing in- incompetent. Nearly every aspect of the film is wrong. The acting is terrible. Joaquin Phoenix's portrayal is atrocious. The battles are terrible. Mm. The battle scene seems so small, diminutive, pathetic, and devoid of any outside context. As to why they're even happening. It says that Joaquin Phoenix is never Napoleon. He cannot inspire a modicum of loyalty from his troops. He's awkward, he's frustrated, he's obnoxious, he's inarticulate. Yeah, all those things. And this this it's this is a point that I've a crap was, film. Like uh, they try in the beginning to explain Napoleon's rise through the ranks during the French Revolution, but they never spend any amount of time fleshing out what the French Revolution is, what the point of it is, why it's happening, like what the people are trying to achieve. And they never show any of Napoleon's victories. Like you don't see anything about Italy or anything like that. So you never see how Napoleon rises to greatness apart from the very first battle where he bombards the British ships. And it's like, okay. So, but then from that point onwards, Napoleon's like a captain or something. And then he, suddenly he's the emperor of the French. It's like, but how did that happen? Mm. Like you need to explain to me why they would choose this random guy who doesn't seem to have done anything to be this person. It's just not explained at all. So the thing is, the film tries to do all of Napoleon's military career from Toulon to his death, which is you know Crazy. twenty plus years. And um, so, even given three hours, it's only ever going to be some sort of uh, montage, almost type thing. Sure. It really needs to be a multi-series part, uh, multi-series TV thing, like Game of Thrones. Yeah, even when we did fifteen, sixteen odd hours on it, it was still fairly. Like touch, you're still skating over loads of things. Yeah. Some battles we can't really flesh out. But in in this film, so yeah, some of the actual things that they just well, there's one bit where it's too long, mm-hmm. and then he's sort of getting married and stuff. Yeah. So immediately there, I was like, oh, they've missed out the entire Italian and Austrian campaigns. That's like one of the greatest bit, the Battle of Marengo. Yeah, it's one of the greatest things. We're just missing all of that. Okay, but there's loads of other things they just omit. The entire Peninsula War. Doesn't happen, and that oh, and that's another thing as well. None of his marshals are characterised whatsoever. Yeah, I think Juno's mentioned once by name, and that's yeah. it. I don't think Ney is even mentioned by name, mm. and he's the guy who meets him at the Hundred Days and who defects to him, obviously. And it what should have been like a genuinely romantic and epic cinematic experience where the charisma, the raw charisma of Napoleon, should pour out of the character and bring the men over to him, but it doesn't. Joaquin Phoenix shows no charismatic impulse throughout this entire thing. Yeah. It's really annoying. Yeah. Um, during the film, at various points, sometimes they'll bring up the name of someone yeah. at the bottom. Like they do it for Talleyrand at one point. They do it for Wellington near the end. 
Um, you don't see anything. And they don't do it for any of his marshals. It's just sort of random. Or like Talaron. They didn't give you anything. If you didn't know the history, it, a lot of the film wouldn't really make much sense. No, it doesn't make any like, sense. Why are we here now? How many years have passed? Wait, yeah. who's that? What's going on? Why is he bombarding What's... the pyramids? What's, you know, yeah. what, what is um, happening? Um, like they completely miss out Leipzig. They go from him being defeated in the 1812 yeah. winter Russian campaign to him um, abdicating. It's like the Battle of Leipzig. This, the, we're just ignoring that. Okay, All right, fine. Not a big deal. Um, uh, so one of the things uh, which I found most annoying, most sort of unbelievable really, is the bit when they're in Moscow and Moscow's been burnt, it's been burnt down by the Russians. Yeah. And that should be, in any script, any story about the life of Napoleon, surely, surely should be dealt with in some detail because it's Napoleon, his fall from grace, it's the turning point, it's, it's, it's a massive, massive moment in history. And the way they deal with it in this film is Napoleon just gets his hat and puts it over his face and shouts into his hat, just like, like that, for like two seconds. So that's the and that's it, and they move on. It's like, I can't believe, but this is I can't the believe what <clears throat> I'm seeing. But this is one of the problems that <clears throat> everyone has with this film is the whole thing is essentially written as a humiliation of Napoleon. Like he yeah, is yeah. a petulant child throughout yeah. this entire yeah. film, especially in his relations with Josephine, which is really embarrassing. Like there are there are one parts where like he and Josephine are with like dinner guests and he literally starts throwing food at her and acting like a total child. And it's just like, um, he is the emperor of the French. Can we have a little bit of dignity for this character? No, it's embarrassing to watch. It's genuinely embarrassing to watch. Mm-hmm. And like they, it's it's like it's a ritual humiliation of Napoleon. Mm-hmm. It's, and on the, the dialogue, there's one line where he's shouting at some English diplomats, and he says, "You think you're so great because you have boats." That is pathetic. That I mean, that's absurd. Like if a ten-year-old wrote that, yeah. you. You'd be embarrassed. I mean, the thing is, at this point in the uh, narrative, did they even have boats? Boats as well, not ships. Yeah, yeah, yes. The Royal Navy may well have sunk them by that point. I can't remember. It's one bit when they're on the way back from uh, from Moscow again through the Russian winter. Again, one of the most cinematic, important yeah. things in history. is skates over in a few moments. Harrowing. At one point, you just hear Napoleon shouting, "We're winning!" Hundreds of thousands of men are dying. My, the thing when I walked out when the film ended, my overriding feeling was, who wrote this? So I want a note. So who on earth wrote this? I'm right. going to tweet some angry. <laughs> it's a guy called uh, David Scarper who's written some other films. He's worked right. with Ricky Scott before, I believe. He's, he's <clears throat> written a few other films. And, um, well, David, you're out of your depth. You're a cretin. You're a bad writer. Okay, it's. I mean, it's, it's, it's a clumsy shambles. It, it's That's generous. He's a he's a moron. Yeah, he's a callow child. It's like he's watched one forty-five minute documentary of Napoleon one time. It's honestly like that. Um, like, who told you you could work with men? <laughs> okay, that's it, this is. It's it's. It's beyond laughable. It's annoying to me. It's a shock. I was shocked. I was a bit shocked by it. But the thing I'm curious about is why? Like, because, okay, you know, I got Ridley Scott. He's going to direct. It's going to look great because it's the last thing that Ridley Scott can do. You've been charged with writing. He's like, right, okay, I'm just not going to bother doing any work. Then. I, I mean, why would you? You wouldn't do that if you were actually someone who wanted to make a good production. So I can only assume 
And given the way that Napoleon was literally written like a petulant child <coughs> who is inexplicably succeeding at everything, it must be a deliberate attempt to try and drag down a great man of history. Yeah, right? they're trying to, he's, he's trying to take a dump on history. He must be proactively, but not, but not deliberately. Just on history, on a particular heroic figure in history who mm-hmm. even now his enemies look back and go, well, he was pretty brilliant, wasn't he? One of the last points I'd like to make is that the ultimate responsibility does lie with Sir Ridley because it was, it's, it's, his, you know, it's a Scott Free Productions film. Yeah. So in other words, Ridley Scott has decided, I'm going to make a film about the, the life of Napoleon. Uh, I, need, I need to get a writer to write me a script. David Scarper, write me a script. And at some point, Ridley Scott has read the script, mm. the screenplay, and been like, Good, that's good. We, we're going with that. But do you remember his attitude as well? Like, he was just like, oh, the French just hate themselves. I don't care what they think and stuff like that. It's yeah. like, why though? You know, why, why are you being so confrontational with A, everyone who loves the story of Napoleon and the French nation themselves? Like, the thing is, Ridley Scott is now 86 years of age. Anything he had, he's lost, he's passed it. It's an embarrassment, Sir Ridley. You're embarrassing yourself. This is a laughing stock of a film. Stop. Stop. You need someone around you to tell you to stop. Uh, next year, apparently, Gladiator 2 is coming out. Scott Free Productions, written by David Scarper. Is, uh, <laughs> is, is Maximus going to be back? I don't know what absurd nonsense that film is going to be. Yeah, it's going to be trash. Um, so Ridley, please, please, for the love of God, stop ruining stop your it. legacy. Yeah. But this is your legacy you're ruining. Well, I could go on. Uh, but uh, perhaps that's enough vitriol. People get the idea. Don't bother watching this film. Uh, don't bother. Out of it. Yeah. Um, it will be an annoyance to you. So, okay. on that, we'll go to the video comments. Hey guys, David here. About share with you is one of my dreams I've always wanted to do. I'm about to publish my own book coming out this Monday. Mafioso Samurai. I'll probably fill these in on a lot of cringe adverts next week. Just put it with it. Thanks. Right. Well done. Anyone getting anything published is impressive, to be honest. I've never published anything. Let's go to the next one. So, as a jeweler myself, I wanted to point out a couple of things that are going on in this video of Rishi. So, first, I'd like to point out the fact that this hammer that she's given him is actually a planishing hammer. So, with a planishing hammer, you would not want to use that on a disc cutter like she is now, in case you mar the face of the hammer. This is because any damage to that face will then end up being transferred to any pieces you're planishing. So the main reason she's told him to hold the hammer like this is to protect her hammer from any damage. Yeah, I saw this going around in the Labour Party. We were like, ha ha, look, Rishi Sonic doesn't know how to use a hammer. It's like she literally told him to do that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think Rishi Sunak knows how to use a bloody hammer, but he's doing exactly what he's told. Don't make me defend Rishi Sunak, plebs. The best response I saw to that was just listening to a woman ever. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, when you're in politics like that, though, optics are sort of the be all and end all. So it's sort of on you <clears throat> as, the, as the political person yeah. to not look stupid if you can help it. But she literally is right. like, yeah, I know, I know. You know, it's like I know. what do you do? You go, okay, I'm just not going to use this hammer now. Yeah. Why? Because um, they'll take a photo of me like that and say I'm an idiot. You know, like, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah you can. Well, I suppose you could. Putin wouldn't let someone explain to him, you use the hammer wrong. Yeah. Like, no. Silence. Why? 
<laughs> the next one. I think Kana would really appreciate all of the churches around here in Krakow. There's a lot of them. They're really old and they are gorgeous inside. Also, it's funny just being in an actual Christian country. I was inside of the holiest of holy churches there and I did the mistake of pulling out my cell phone and then I was chewed out by a priest because you do not take out your phone in such a holy place. I never try that in any church in any country. So I actually really respect that. That was kind of cool. Yeah, they think it steals your soul. <laughs> in churches or cathedrals in Italy, if the sort of the general hubbub gets too loud, they, they shush you. Yeah. The whole crowd, they shush you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can't just go in there if you're wearing, if ladies are wearing sort of a crop top or something that shows too much shoulder or anything. You've not allowed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same in Russia. All right, guys. Sorry. I know this is the ugly American in me, but Sinn Féin sounds like a gang that operates in the Schengen Zone, which is the plot to a movie in the heart of Hong Kong starring Jackie Chan. Prove me wrong. Well, incidentally, I think Sinn Féin means us alone. Which is remarkable. It's us alone and all the foreigners we can bring in. Like it's just every Irish party has got like is populated by traitors at this point. It's hilarious. Well, the, that's a literal translation, but it basically means like we govern ourselves. Yeah, obviously. So why are you governed by an Indian? Yeah. Isn't Sinn Fein always essentially a type of socialist? Yeah. Like, yeah, national socialist. Like yeah, yeah, not like German workers. And now like they're just but nonetheless <clears throat> nationalists that are also socialists. Yeah, and now on some level, um, so. it's a strange thing. Strange thing. So, what can only be described as the grace of God? The biopsy came back showing that there was no cancer outside of the right testicle, and the. CT scan shows that it didn't spread anywhere else. Thank you, everyone, and God bless you guys. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. That means it's over brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Good for him. My, my, when I was 27, my best mate had a cancer on his back, and uh, it was horrific. It was you know, bulging through the skin, and he got it cut out, but things it had spread elsewhere, and he ended up dying of it. And so it was just like, Jesus. So that's, that's great news. Yeah. yeah, and he's kept us updated on that bit, so that's bloody good news. As you look around the beach, you notice a large invader encampment with ships lining up to transport them to unknown destinations. Ask one of them where they came from. I'm afraid that's not possible, as you do not share a common tongue. Durka, 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 durka. Durka, 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 durka. Durka, durka, durka. Durka, 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 durka. Durka, durka, durka. He said he is from the land of Pakistonia, where there are rumors our land contains bountiful treasures ripe for the taking. Oh, yeah. Well, you tell him if anyone is going to be plundering treasure around here, it's me. I'm not telling him that. Fine. I'll tell him myself. Durka, 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 durka. That was total gibberish, mate. You sound like an idiot. Or even the audios like generated somehow. All right. Okay. I was going to say, when did you say that? When did you say that? <laughs> 11 labs doing the God's work there. Very good. Thank you, Base Tape. Otherwise, we shall go to the written comments on the site. Andrew says, ah, the return to the Christmas intro mix. Love it. Well, it's 1st of December. Um, Russian Garbage Human says, woo, Christmas intro. Can we please have the MP3 audio version of the normal doo-doo jingle available to download as well as a Christmas one? They're both nice and I want them, please. Uh, I'll do I don't know, but I'll see what we can do. Uh, William says, the far right doesn't care about children. My God, you're defending a child stabber. Yeah, I know. I know. They're literally gentlemen. Literally called them a gentleman. Like, what is the... 
But I mean, uh, like, like they literally hate you and want you to die. And they'll literally say it. The, the gentleman, oh, well, Elliot Roger. Yeah, well, he's finally been overtaken. Yeah, he's no longer the most supreme of gentlemen. Uh, Baron von Warhawk, uh, typical bully response. The victims of the government are starting to fight back, so now the government has no choice but to respond with overwhelming force to make sure the victims stay in place. It's disgusting. True. Fuzzy Toaster, politician being racist to white people, another day ending in why. It's true. Lord Nerval, it's probably fair to call the Irish government a tyranny now, right? Maybe not a full-on dictatorship, but a tyranny of the minority over majority. An injustice, if you will. Uh, what's the left's advice with dealing with injustice again? Well, to be honest with you, the left's advice is uh, support it, so I'm not sure we need their advice. Uh, MC says, Carl is absolutely correct that when someone says you can't say that, the correct thing is to reframe it by going even further. Uh, for example, the NPC response to the phrase illegal immigrant is no person is legal. And of such, I've taken to call them criminal migrants instead. Uh, Matt says, the Irish Freedom Party is basically Irish UKIP, but is more of a sense of ethnos. That sounds great. Vote Irish UKIP. Irish UKIP. Herman Kelly is currently reading through Camp of the Saints. Absolutely our guy. I just finished Camp of the Saints. actually. Um, I've I'm, never read it. It's prophetic, actually. Maybe we should do a book club on it. You should definitely read it. You can find the PDF online, easy. Um, it's not that long, and it, it's really interesting to read, because it reads like this kind of madcap, like fast-paced thing. The guy's a really good writer, and so it's a genuine sort of pleasure to read the, the prose, uh, and he, the, you flow through the story, because the events just... It's French, right? Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, it's translated. It's translated. But, uh, it, but the, the, there's a great flow to the story. It's kind of like a water running downhill where you, there's a kind of sense of inevitability about it and then just shit starts going wrong. Um, but uh, the National Party are a mess. Keith Woods is involved. Is this the Irish Nazi leprechaun? Um, the, the, so a couple of guys were telling me about there's the Nationalist Party, the Independence Party, and there's a third one that I forget. And the Nationalist Party did have apparently... First. I, maybe, I don't know. But the Nationalist Party apparently used to have this leader who... Um, Sounds like a leprechaun is the height of a leprechaun. Uh, would turn up to events in an SS coat and would quote Hitler. And then at the end of his leadership, he ran off with a bunch of gold bars. <laughs> so he's literally leprechaun Hitler. <laughs> so <laughs> don't, don't vote for that guy. Vote for Irish UKIP. Well, he's not their leader anymore either. So I don't really know. But I just like I told that story. I was like, my God, Irish politics really is the meme you would expect it to be, which is <laughs> leprechaun Hitler is running the far right. <laughs> Is <laughs> that literally a leprechaun, though? Yeah. A minute then, I thought you were talking about Keith Woods. I was like, no, I think he's really tall, isn't he? How could he be? I don't know anything about him. I just know about leprechaun Hitler. Okay. a much more interesting historical Way thing. more entertaining <laughs> character. Wait, actual gold bars or mocked up? Apparently, Randolph was some gold bars. Real gold. Only one guy told me this. I was just pissing myself listening to his voice notes. Just being like, are you serious? Well, it's he's got like, the yeah. end of the rainbow or something. <laughs> yeah, well. Ethel Stats has the right to be here argument. It's so bizarre. Uh, we take it as a norm that we require visas to enter, enter a country to visit on holiday. We therefore do not even have a right to spend a couple of days in other countries for the purpose of holidaying and spending money in their economies. But apparently, the people have a right to enter the UK and Ireland and start reaping economic payments they have not paid into. Yeah, it's just totally false. They don't have a right to be here. That's why you have to say, no, they don't have a right to be here. You are wrong. Uh, Le French destroyer... There are, some places, sorry, Carl, there are some places in the world where you're, um, you're just not allowed in. So, for example, in Saudi Arabia. Mecca, yeah. yeah. In Medina... You're not allowed in the city unless you are Muslim. Don't the Chinese actually have something called the Forbidden City? Well, yeah, well, that's from the emperor. Yeah, I know, but like at some point, you probably weren't allowed in there. No, but Chinese at some point, were. yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was for the emperor and his people. Yeah, no one was allowed. Bo's point is forbidden. that foreigners, if you're the wrong uh, religion, you can't go to Medina, you can't go to Mecca. 
I mean, most of North Korea is just off bounds. No, no, look, I, 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 I realize you're like, yeah, but Chinese people won't allow them in a forbidden city. Well, that's kind of my point, right? What we need is just to have a forbidden town. Like Swindon is a forbidden town. You can't come in. And the people from London are just like, but we're, we're British. Nah, don't care. The forbidden county. <laughs> yeah, forbidden. Yeah. Forbidden county of Wiltshire. Just you're not allowed. Just anyway. Well, we need some roadblocks then. We could get them. We can get roadblocks. Uh, the French, this is why we need to take over local councils. The forbidden town of Swindon. The forbidden county of Wiltshire. <laughs> yeah. The forbidden county of Somerset. You know, like we, we could. Anyway. The French destroyer of pyramids. That would be Napoleon. Uh, again, just didn't fire cannons at the bloody pyramids. I saw a tweet from Ridley Scott that when someone said, uh, this is, you know. That, the one there. <laughs> um, yeah, right. It just it explains it away. It was just a far, fast way of saying he took Egypt. Couldn't you have shown him defeating the Mamluk army you had lined up? Like, right. Okay. If you wanted to make that artistic decision, Sir Ridley, um, you've gone about it in, in the most clumsy in, in a, yeah, again, a risible way. But even if you only want it to last three seconds, you plant a French flag in the sand next to the pyramids, done. There'll be a dozen ways you could depict that. A strewn battlefield of dead Mamluks and Napoleon walking over and saying, how many did we lose? 127, sir, or something. I mean, he was really low, really low, with like 40,000 dead Mamluks. And it's just like, okay, we'll do that. Or CGI it, like literally zoom out, have it like a Rome total war map. You know, just like here come the Mamluks, oh, they get blown out, you know, whatever. I don't want to be too out of order uh, to Ridley Scott about how old he is. But he if you true. know people that get into their dotage, into their old age, yeah. they take their foot off the gas. They can't help it. It's not their fault. Nice. They take their foot off the gas. If they used to be good at some, some technical skill with their hands, they become worse at it. You can't do it. His Wait. ability to tell a story now. So Ridley, your ability to tell a story is sorely lacking. Not Stop. sure he's on social media. Um, Matt no, says, the Irish state can't win this. Censorship won't suffice. What they require is the complete disaggregation of the Irish people and the dissolution of the concept of the Irish nation. Yeah, and the Irish haven't been sufficiently demoralized. They still believe in themselves as a people, which is nice. You know, good for them. Um, Twisted Frenzy says, I'm happy you guys are reporting on the chaos going on in Ireland. Keep it up. I'm also glad that you're taking an interest in Irish politics in general, but my God, you have to practice your Irish more. No, I don't. <clears throat> okay? No, I don't. I'm not, and he's got a lot of pronunciations, but I refuse. As an Englishman, we yeah. reserve the right not yeah. to learn yeah, it, Irish. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I may have to learn Arabic. <laughs> you're Cantonese, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. At least we're not speaking Irish, anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they need to learn the Queen's English, like what we speak. Yeah. Um, Sophie says, it does suck to see how far the BBC has fallen as well. I did grow up loving a ton of English content. Well, the BBC wasn't always anti-Britain. Yeah. When we were kids, it was fine. Yeah. Right? It was... It, was, yeah. like, it, it wasn't... <laughs> literally, you'd have lots of homegrown British talent on British TV, and it was funny. It didn't hate itself. That's just it. And Sophie gives a loads of... Keeping appearances, faulty towers, Doctor Who, so forth. And even into, like, the 90s. You know, like, Red Dwarf. I don't know if that's, no, it was BBC. And like, that was uh, from the 80s, actually 79. Red Dwarf? Yeah, Red Dwarf's really old. It, it ran, it's run for decades. Right, oh, right yeah. it started. Right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. But also, like, um, you know, like, like um, uh, Blackadder and stuff like this, you know, there's loads of great stuff. The thing is, occasionally they still make, so I always point to the, if I'm ever going to run any sort of interference for the BBC, I will mention that something like Blue Planet, yeah, something like that, 
Or Wolf but Hall. How can you screw that up? I don't know if you saw Wolf Hall. They made Wolf Hall. It's an adaptation of the Hilary Mantle novels set in the age of Henry VIII, all about Thomas Cromwell with Mark Rylance as Cromwell. That is very good. There's no, there's no agenda really in it. Uh, maybe ever so, ever so, but basically none. Um, it's just, and it looks great, and um, and it's fine. It's Henry VIII. It's a good production. Henry VIII is um, a black guy, but so they, yeah, so they, yeah, they don't crowbar um, yeah. a load of diversity into it or anything. So, but that's like one example in years and years and years. So the BBC needs to die. Zombie Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, throwing racist slurs from beyond the grave, says. It's incredibly annoying because I never watch the BBC, but for some reason you still need the TV license to watch all the channels that don't get any license money. There is a deepest pit of hell reserved to these scum. Uh, yeah, that's another thing as well. It's the monopoly on like the television. Want to watch ITV, a private channel? You need to pay the BBC for that. It's like, it's like what, why do you have anything to do with this? Um, uh, Anonymy says, Nommies will continue paying for the license fee because of football. Uh, her thought, though, how they continue to watch it, I have no clue. Uh, women commentators have made it unwatchable far before BLM Pride Month. I have no idea. I never watched it. So. This is the message I'm trying to get across: is they can tell you you have to pay for it, and you can also just say no, and there are really no consequences. Yeah, like even the the snotty letters you get, just put them in the bin. And if they do go as far as to actually send someone around, it is actually policy. They can't force entry to your home. They have the legal right to, but they literally won't because BBC policy can't have men breaking into people's houses <laughs> to take license money of them. It's too bad PR. So they're not allowed to do it on a policy basis. So if they come around and they tell you we're going to break in, you just close the door and go, go on then. They won't do it. We just don't answer the door. To pe- I pretty well, much never answer my door if it's someone I don't know. I don't care what their angle is, what they're selling, what it's... If it's not someone I know that's scheduled to come around, I will not open my door. You, you grab a knife and, and see if they come in. And that's... <laughs> Also, the football thing, just quickly say, I don't think they haven't had live football. You get the odd FA Cup tie every now and again. There's a match of the day, of course, but there's not really football on. Uh, I don't sort of sky anyway. And if it's international tournaments, they'll be on ITV as well. Or right. Whatever, so, so. I don't know. I never watch it, but I'm, I just as a point of principle wouldn't watch BBC if I couldn't, ha- if yeah, I couldn't help it. Right. Uh, Eddie says, I haven't seen the Napoleon movie, but from the trailer, I knew it was going to be a disaster. It showed Napoleon in Egypt, then flashed to Moscow. 14 years of dense history crammed into one movie. Yeah, but that could have just been edited for the trailer, right? Like, it could have been well done, and they could have, you know, woven a narrative through the story of his campaigns or something. One of the trailers was about Austerlitz, which was only one of only two battles, Austerlitz and Waterloo. They show in any sort of detail. Yeah. I mean, they have Napoleon riding into... In, at the Battle of Waterloo, riding into gunshot of the enemy. Yeah, just, Napoleon wasn't Alexander. The, a sniper puts a bullet through his through his hat at, at Waterloo. I mean, yeah, just didn't happen. No. It wasn't. I mean, by that point, shock is shocking. By by Waterloo, Napoleon was just in no condition to ride. Like he personally was screwed. Well, he just never went anywhere yeah, within range of. Why would he? Is sort of musket or rifle? But like he was just in no physical condition, even if he wanted to. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, obviously terrible. Uh, George Hap says Ridley Scott has been a- unable to take mild criticism. Like that's not historically accurate. Shows his ego is out of control, which also explains the latest alien. Yeah. That's another thing as well. Like just, I just can't get over the way he's been responding to the criticism. He'd just be like, yeah, well, you know, I wanted to tell a particular story about the romance between Napoleon and Josephine. And so I'm going to be honest. I kind of, you know, sort of scrimped a bit on the historical accuracy. But you'll understand why if you just enjoy the, 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 the love story between these two characters. 
okay, well, fair enough. You know, at least he's being clear about what he's doing. He's accepting that it's not perfect and there's a reason for all of this. Okay, fine. But he's not doing that. He's like, yeah, the, you know, don't want F the French, fine. But like, they hate themselves. I don't care about the historical accuracy. You know, I don't give a damn. You weren't there. It's like, what are these criticisms, Ridley? You senile old boomer. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, what is this? You Even know? the score, the music, the background sounds and things, they're like comical. Yeah. Yeah. There's no de- there's no gravitas to it. It's like yeah. the whole tone of it yeah. is silly. Yeah, but I mean the the, the rebuttal- Ridley Scott, you're a silly old man. But like saying you weren't there is just not a rebuttal to anything historical. Ridiculous. Like, it's just ridiculous. Preposterous. Screw him. Um. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bo, uh, Russian, a question by Russian. Um, could you do a piece on the Elgin Marbles, please? If you haven't done one already, uh, just wondering why this is such a big deal to post part both parties and why the headlines are full of it. I very nearly did a bit on the podcast a few months ago. Um, but yeah, we could do an epochs on that. Absolutely. On the Lord Elgin. Yeah, and why he took the marbles. Why we still have some left. But anyway, we're out of time. So if uh, people would like more, do go over to lowsears.com, check out the things as mentioned. Otherwise, we'll be back Monday. Monday, have a great weekend. See, you didn't say it was Friday, so you didn't know it was Monday next. So you do need it for, to tell the date. Thanks for interrupting, Carl. <laughs> Goodbye.